Part Seven of the Old English Baron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Old English Baron, a Gothic story by Clara Reeve. Part Seven. From the time of Edmund's departure, the fair Emma had many uneasy hours. She wished to inquire after him, but feared to show any solicitude concerning him. The next day, when her brother William came into her apartment, she took courage to ask a question. Pray, brother, can you give any guess what is become of Edmund? No, he said with a sigh. Why do you ask me? Because, my dear William, I should think that if anybody knew, it must be you, and I thought he loved you too well to leave you in ignorance. But don't you think he left the castle in a very strange manner? I do, my dear. There is a mystery in every circumstance of his departure. Nevertheless, I will trust you with a secret. He did not leave the castle without making a distinction in my favor. I thought so, said she. But you might tell me what you know about him. Alas, my dear Emma, I know nothing. When I saw him last, he seemed a good deal affected, as if he were taking leave of me, and I had a foreboding that we parted for a longer time than usual. Ah, so had I, she said. When he parted with me in the garden. What leave did he take of you, Emma? She blushed and hesitated to tell him all that passed between them, but he begged, persuaded, and insisted, and at length, under the strongest injunctions of secrecy, she told him all. He said that Edmund's behavior on that occasion was as mysterious as the rest of his conduct, but now you have revealed your secret, you have a right to know mine. He then gave her the letter he found upon his pillow. She read it with great emotion. St. Winifred, assist me, said she. What can I think? The peasant Edmund is no more, but there lives one. That is to my thinking, Edmund lives, but no peasant. Go on, my dear, said William. I like your explanation. Nay, brother, I only guess. But what think you? I believe we think alike in more than one respect. That he meant to recommend no other person than himself to your favor. And, if he were indeed of noble birth, I would prefer him to a prince for a husband to my Emma. Bless me, said she. Do you think it possible that he should be of either birth or fortune? It is hard to say what is impossible. We have proof that the East Department is haunted. It was there that Edmund was made acquainted with many secrets, I doubt not, and, perhaps, his own fate may be involved in that of others. I am confident that what he saw and heard there was the cause of his departure. We must wait with patience the unraveling of this intricate affair. I believe I need not enjoin your secrecy as to what I have said. Your heart will be my security. What mean you, brother? Don't affect ignorance, my dear. You love Edmund. So do I. It is nothing to be ashamed of. It would have been strange if a girl of your good sense had not distinguished a swan among a flock of geese. Dear William, don't let a word of this escape you. But you have taken a weight off my heart. You may depend that I will not dispose of my hand or heart till I know the end of this affair. William smiled. Keep them for Edmund's friend. I shall rejoice to see him in a situation to ask them. Hush, my brother. Not a word more. I hear footsteps. They were her eldest brothers, who came to ask Mr. William to ride out with him, which finished the conference. The fair Emma from this time assumed an air of satisfaction, 
and William frequently stole away from his companions to talk with his sister upon their favorite subject. While these things passed at the castle of Lovell, Edmund and his companion John Wyatt proceeded on their journey to Sir Philip Harclay's seat. They conversed together on the way, and Edmund found him a man of understanding, though not improved by education. He also discovered that John loved his master, and respected him even to veneration. From him he learned many particulars concerning that worthy knight. Wyatt told him that Sir Philip maintained twelve old soldiers who had been maimed and disabled in the wars, and had no provision made for them. Also six old officers, who had been unfortunate, and were grown gray without preferment. He likewise mentioned the Greek gentleman, his master's captive and friend, as a man eminent for valor and piety. But besides these, said Wyatt, there are many others who eat of my master's bread and drink of his cup, who join in blessings and prayers to heaven for their noble benefactor. His ears are ever open to distress, his hand to relieve it, and he shares in every good man's joys and blessings. Oh, what a glorious character, said Edmund. How my heart throbs with wishes to imitate such a man. Oh, that I might resemble him, though at ever so great a distance. Edmund was never weary of hearing the actions of this truly great man, nor Wyatt with relating them, and, during three days' journey, there were but few pauses in their conversation. The fourth day, when they came within view of the house, Edmund's heart began to raise doubts of his reception. If, said he, Sir Philip should not receive me kindly, if he should resent my long neglect and disown my acquaintance, it would be no more than justice. He sent Wyatt before, to notify his arrival to Sir Philip, while he waited at the gate, full of doubts and anxieties concerning his reception. Wyatt was met and congratulated on his return by most of his fellow-servants. He asked, "'Where is my master?' in the parlor. Any strangers with him? No, only his own family. Then I will show myself to him. He presented himself before Sir Philip. So, John, said he, you are welcome home. I hope you left your parents and relations well. All well, thank God, and send their humble duty to your honor, and they pray for you every day of their lives. I hope your honor is in good health. Very well. Thank God for that. But, sir, I have something further to tell you. I have had a companion all the way home, a person who comes to wait on your honor, on business of great consequence, as he says. Who is that, John? It is Master Edmund Twyford, from the castle of Lovell. Young Edmund, says Sir Philip, surprised. Where is he? At the gate, sir. Why did you leave him there? Because he bade me come before, and acquaint your honor that he waits your pleasure. "'Bring him hither,' said Sir Philip. "'Tell him I shall be glad to see him.' John made haste to deliver his message, and Edmund followed him in silence into Sir Philip's presence. He bowed low and kept at a distance. Sir Philip held out his hand and bade him approach. As he drew near, he was seized with a universal trembling. He kneeled down, took his hand, kissed it, and pressed it to his heart in silence. "'You are welcome, young man,' said Sir Philip." Take courage, and speak for yourself. Edmund sighed deeply. He at length broke silence with difficulty. I am come thus far, noble sir, to throw myself at your feet and implore your protection. You are, under God, my only reliance. I receive you, said Sir Philip, with all my heart. Your person is greatly improved since I saw you last, and I hope your mind is equally so. 
I have heard a great character of you from some that knew you in France. I remember the promise I made you long ago, and am ready now to fulfill it, upon condition that you have done nothing to disgrace the good opinion I formerly entertained of you, and am ready to serve you in anything consistent with my own honor. Edmund kissed the hand that was extended to raise him. I accept your favor, sir, upon this condition only, and if ever you find me to impose upon your credulity, or encroach on your goodness, may you renounce me from that moment. Enough, said Sir Philip. Rise then, and let me embrace you. You are truly welcome. O oh, noble sir, said Edmund, I have a strange story to tell you, but it must be by ourselves, with only heaven to bear witness to what passes between us. Very well, said Sir Philip. I am ready to hear you, but first, go and get some refreshment after your journey, and then come to me again. John Wyatt will attend you. I want no refreshment, said Edmund, and cannot eat or drink till I have told my business to your honour. Well then, said Sir Philip, come along with me. He took the youth by the hand and led him into another parlour, leaving his friends in great surprise what this young man's errand could be. John Wyatt told them all that he knew relating to Edmund's birth, character, and situation. When Sir Philip had seated his young friend, he listened in silence to the surprising tale he had to tell him. Edmund told him briefly the most remarkable circumstances of his life, from the time when he first saw and liked him, till his return from France. But from that era he related at large everything that had happened, recounting every interesting particular which was imprinted on his memory in strong and lasting characters. Sir Philip grew every moment more affected by the recital. Sometimes he clasped his hands together, he lifted them up to heaven, he smote his breast, he sighed, he exclaimed aloud. When Edmund related his dream, he breathed short, and seemed to devour him with attention. When he described the fatal closet, he trembled, sighed, sobbed, and was almost suffocated with his agitation. But when he related all that passed between his supposed mother and himself, and finally produced the jewels, the proofs of his birth, and the death of his unfortunate mother, he flew to him, he pressed him to his bosom, he strove to speak, but speech was for some minutes denied. He wept aloud, and at length his words found their way in broken exclamations. Son of my dearest friend! Dear and precious relic of a noble house, child of providence, the beloved of heaven, welcome, thrice welcome to my arms, to my heart, I will be thy parent from henceforward, and thou shalt be indeed my child, my heir. My mind told me from the first moment I beheld thee, that thou wert the image of my friend. My heart then opened itself to receive thee as his offspring. I had a strange foreboding that I was to be thy protector. I would then have made thee my own, but heaven orders things for the best. It made thee the instrument of this discovery, and in its own time and manner conducted thee to my arms. Praise be to God for his wonderful doings toward the children of men. Everything that has befallen thee is by his direction, and he will not leave his work unfinished. I trust that I shall be his instrument to do justice on the guilty, and to restore the orphan of my friend to his rights and title. I devote myself to this service, and will make it the business of my life to effect it. Edmund gave vent to his emotions in raptures of joy and gratitude. They spent several hours in this way, without thinking of the time that passed, 
the one inquiring, the other explaining and repeating every particular of the interesting story. At length they were interrupted by the careful John Wyatt, who was anxious to know if anything was likely to give trouble to his master. "'Sir,' said John, "'it grows dark. Do you want a light?' "'We want no light but what heaven gives us,' said Sir Philip. "'I knew not whether it was dark or light.' "'I hope,' said John, "'nothing has happened. I hope your honour has heard no bad tidings. I—I—I I, I hope no offence. "'None at all,' said the good knight. "'I am obliged to your solicitude for me. I have heard some things that grieve me, and others that give me great pleasure, but the sorrows are past and the joys remain.' "'Thank God,' said John. "'I was afraid something was the matter to give your honour trouble.' "'I thank you, my good servant. "'You see this young gentleman. "'I would have you, John, devote yourself to his service. "'I give you to him for an attendant on his person, "'and would have you show your affection to me "'by your attachment to him.' "'Oh, sir,' said John, in a melancholy voice, "'what have I done to be turned out of your service?' "'No such matter, John,' said Sir Philip. "'You will not leave my service.' "'Sir,' said John, "'I would rather die than leave you.' "'And, my lad, I like you too well to part with you. "'But in serving my friend you will serve me. "'Know that this young man is my son.' "'Your son, sir,' said John. "'Not my natural son, but my relation. "'My son by adoption. "'My heir. "'And will he live with you, sir?' "'Yes, John, and I hope to die with him.' Oh, then I will serve him with all my heart and soul, and I will do my best to please you both. I thank you, John, and I will not forget your honest love and duty. I have so good an opinion of you that I will tell you of some things concerning this gentleman that will entitle him to your respect. Tis enough for me, said John, to know that your honor respects him, to make me pay him as much duty as yourself. But, John, when you know him better, you will respect him still more. At present, I shall only tell you what he is not, for you think him only the son of Andrew Twyford. And is he not? said John. No, but his wife nursed him, and he passed for her son. And does old Twyford know it, sir? He does, and will bear witness to it. But he is the son of a near friend of mine, of quality superior to my own, and as such you must serve and respect him. I shall, to be sure, sir, but what name shall I call him? You shall know that hereafter. In the meantime bring a light, and wait on us to the other parlour. When John was withdrawn, Sir Philip said, That is a point to be considered and determined immediately. It is proper that you should assume a name till you can take that of your father, for I choose you should drop that name of your foster-father, and I would have you be called by one that is respectable. "'In that and every other point I will be wholly governed by you, sir,' said Edmund. "'Well, then, I give you the name of Seagrave. "'I shall say that you are a relation of my own, "'and my mother was really of that family.' "'John soon returned and attended them to the other parlour. "'Sir Philip entered with Edmund in his hand. "'My friends,' said he, "'this gentleman is Mr. Edward Seagrave, "'the son of a dear friend and relation of mine. "'He was lost in his infancy.' brought up by a good woman out of pure humanity, and is but lately restored to his own family. The circumstances shall be made known hereafter. In the meantime, I have taken him under my care and protection, 
and will use all my power and interest to see him restored to his fortune, which is enjoyed by the usurper who was the cause of his expulsion and the death of his parents. Receive him as my relation and friend. Zadisky, do you embrace him first? Edmund, you and this gentleman must love each other for my sake. Hereafter you will do it for your own. They all rose, each embraced and congratulated the young man. Zadisky said, Sir, whatever griefs and misfortunes you may have endured, you may reckon them at an end from the hour you are beloved and protected by Sir Philip Harclay. I firmly believe it, sir, replied Edmund, and my heart enjoys already more happiness than I ever yet felt, and promises me all that I can wish in future. His friendship is the earnest heaven gives me of its blessings hereafter. They sat down to supper with mutual cheerfulness, and Edmund enjoyed the repast with more satisfaction than he had felt in a long time. Sir Philip saw his countenance brighten up, and looked on him with heartfelt pleasure. "'Every time I look on you,' said he, "'reminds me of your father. You are the same person I loved twenty-three years ago. I rejoice to see you under my roof. Go to your repose early, and to-morrow we will consult farther.' Edmund withdrew, and enjoyed a night of sweet, undisturbed repose. The next morning Edmund arose in perfect health and spirits. He waited on his benefactor. They were soon after joined by Zadisky, who showed great attention and respect to the youth, and offered him his best services without reserve. Edmund accepted them with equal respect and modesty, and finding himself at ease, began to display his amiable qualities. They breakfasted together. Afterwards, Sir Philip desired Edmund to walk out with him. As soon as they were out of hearing, Sir Philip said, I could not sleep last night for thinking of your affairs. I laid schemes for you, and rejected them again. We must lay our plan before we begin to act. What shall be done with this treacherous kinsman, this inhuman monster, this assassin of his nearest relation? I will risk my life and fortune to bring him to justice. Shall I go to court and demand justice of the king, or shall I accuse him of murder and make him stand a public trial? If I treat him as a baron of the realm, he must be tried by his peers. If as a commoner, he must be tried by the county assize. But we must show reason. Why should he be degraded from his title? Have you anything to propose? Nothing, sir. I have only to wish that it might be as private as possible, for the sake of my noble benefactor, the Lord Fitzowen, upon whom some part of the family disgrace would naturally fall, and that would be an ill return for all his kindness and generosity to me. That is a generous and grateful consideration on your part but you owe still more to the memory of your injured parents. However, there is yet another way that suits me better than any hitherto proposed. I will challenge the traitor to meet me in the field, and, if he has spirit enough to answer my call, I will there bring him to justice. If not, I will bring him to a public trial. No, sir, said Edmund, that is my province. Should I stand by and see my noble, gallant friend expose his life for me, I should be unworthy to bear the name of that friend whom you so much lament. It would become a son to vindicate his name and revenge his death. I will be the challenger, and no other. And do you think he will answer the challenge of an unknown youth, with nothing but his pretensions to his name and title? Certainly not. Leave this matter to me. 
I will think of a way that will oblige him to meet me at the house of a third person who is known to all parties concerned, and where we will have authentic witnesses of all that passes between him and me. I will devise the time, place, and manner, and satisfy all your scruples. Edmund offered to reply, but Sir Philip bade him be silent, and let him proceed in his own way. He then led him over his estate, and shewed him everything deserving his notice. He told him all the particulars of his domestic economy, and they returned home in time to meet their friends at dinner. They spent several days in consulting how to bring Sir Walter to account, and in improving their friendship and confidence in each other. Edmund endeared himself so much to his friend and patron that he declared him his adopted son and heir before all his friends and servants, and ordered them to respect him as such. He every day improved their love and regard for him, and became the darling of the whole family. End of Part 7